this is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com And welcome. Today I am delighted to have Tucker Max. Maximum Magazine says he's the most hated man on the internet. Tucker is the co-founder and chairman of Book in the Box, a company that turns ideas into books. He's also written three New York Times bestsellers, including the number one bestseller, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. His books have sold over 3 million copies, been translated in over 30 languages, and are credited with creating the literary genre frat tire. Um, his number one bestseller, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, was also turned into a movie. And Time Magazine has nominated him as one uh, one of the hundred most influential people. Tucker, welcome. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Great. So, so Tucker, if you can give people, uh, you know, to, to summarize, kind of, what was the process that led you up to writing um, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell? It wasn't really a process, man. I, I kind of just stumbled into it. Um, Basically, I was, uh, like, after I graduated from law school, my friends and I um, all moved to different cities, and I uh, hated my job, and I hated my life, and and so um, I just wrote emails to my friends about all the stupid, ridiculous, drunken things that I've done, and, uh, and, and those emails were pretty funny and so they forwarded them to their friends and they just kind of blew up and became this thing that eventually turned into uh my book great great so uh i hope they serve beer in hell was that something that you self-published or traditionally published no it's uh well so it, it is traditionally published but with a small publisher it's it's closer to self than traditional but it is still technically traditional i see i see so um how long did it take? Because um, uh, we looked at Jack Canfield's story, and it took Jack Canfield a year to become a New York Times bestseller. How long did it take for I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell to get on a New York Times list? Uh, it actually was on the list when it launched uh, because uh, I had already built up a mailing list. I already had a group of people who um, wanted my book and were excited to, to have it. So... Um, so like that was not really a problem, you know. Like uh, my book launched at number I think twenty six, um, which is not very high up, but it is still on the list. And then uh, it hit thirty four the next week, and then it fell off, uh, and it was off for maybe eighteen months, and then it went back on. It stayed on for five years, I think. Great. So. Uh, it made it on the list, and then you said it went back on. What were some things that you did, Tucker, to influence the book to get back on the list, being number one, and essentially uh, staying on there for five years? Um, man, like I, I wish I could give you all these cool uh, little marketing techniques, and I did a bunch of things, but <laughs> the quite honest answer is I don't think any of those things made a difference. Uh, I think the reason that the book did really well is because it was good. 
right. because people, and I define good as people enjoy reading it. And, uh, uh, and what happens when someone enjoys reading something is you recommend it to other people. And um, uh, that's how my book spread, word of mouth, dude, straight word of mouth. And, and there's really, at this point in the history of the world, there's pretty much no other marketing that, that works, at least, besides word of mouth. Uh, and so everything you do should be about building word of mouth mm-hmm. and, um, and creating it, which means it, like, the way you conceptualize your stuff has to be uh, like, why will someone care? Mm-hmm. Why are they going to talk about it? Why are they going to spread it? Sort of, et cetera, et cetera. You know? That's good. That's good, Tucker. And we can take that in two directions. Let's go to the first direction. You talked about the, you talk about the importance of writing a good book. Now, a lot of times, unfortunately, people have their own definition of good. You know, people, you know, people may, you know, they may have this book that's passionate to their heart, and maybe they spend so much time writing, and they can say, "This is a good book," and you know, it's good because I think it's good, my mother think it's good, uh, my friend think it's good. So, in their mind, it's a good book. How would Tucker classify uh, a good book? Uh, a good book is a book that other people want to read. That's it. That's what. That's what a good book is. Um, Look, I'm not going to put down someone's desire to write something that's meaningful to them and, and to define it under their terms. That's totally legitimate, but that's, that, that has a different name than book. It's called a diary. Right. And diaries are great, but you don't publish diaries. Mm-hmm. So if what you want to write is about defining, if you want to define what you write by your own terms, totally fine, but um, don't expect it to do well. If you, if you good in the context of a book is only defined as did do other people like this and take value from it and are they talking about it to their friends that's it that's it's sort of like um like think about it like food right. you know you you may cook something that you think is amazing mm-hmm. and it can be good for you and that's cool there's nothing wrong with that but you want to be a chef at a restaurant you got to cook things that other people like because that's the job Absolutely. And the other direction you talked about and you just mentioned uh, shortly was word of mouth marketing. And uh, I think that's very important. And obviously, that's what that's what was a was a big uh, factor to the success of your book. Now, Perhaps we, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, everyone maybe has their own way. But what would you recommend? Would you recommend kind of focusing on uh, it online as far, far as word of mouth marketing, Tucker, or would you say perhaps you know combining it offline would be just as good as well? Uh, so, um, I don't really differentiate between the two. Okay. Uh, now, that doesn't mean you can't differentiate between the two. There are a lot of people who are very good at. Uh, I'm not going to pretend like the way things spread in person is different th- or is the same as the, as the way they spread online because it's not exactly the same. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's not really my level of expertise. And so I don't want to like talk about your nonsense about stuff I don't really know, you know? Absolutely. Uh, um, so, but instead, what I'll tell you is um, I focus, I feel like if you really, it, the best strategy for most people is to just focus on quality mm-hmm. and quality being defined as is this actually meeting someone's need mm-hmm. uh, is this actually providing value to someone mm-hmm. if you focus on that it's really only the last 20 10 to 20 percent that matters for online versus offline the fundamentals are the quality of the of the product right right so like no look if you're writing a blog post you know mm-hmm. and you need people to share it on Facebook and Twitter mm-hmm. there is a science to that 
that is different than someone talking about a book to their friend at a cocktail party. Indeed. They're, they're, not, they're not fundamentally different. At the end of the day, they're still about um, people wanting to share things with other people to make them look better, but how they share and how they talk about it, whatever can vary at the margins. So if that's important to you, you should study it. But I'm telling you, very few people are, good, are so good at content that they need to study the margins. Most people need to study the fundamentals, and the fundamental is very. The fundamentals are very simple. You need to write things that, that are relevant and uh, to people and interesting. Uh, that's that's the fundamental aspect of people sharing what you do. Well said. Let's talk about the inspiration for the second book. Uh, which one, assholes finished first? Yes. Uh huh. I, I mean, it was same as the first. At that point, once you have something that works, I uh-huh. like. There's no reason to. To to uh, fix, I don't fix things that aren't broken. Uh, so like, <laughs> I, I honestly, I just had more things to say. Right. Um, you know, hopes are beer and hell. Assholes finish first, and hilarity ensues. We're just all a continuation of the same theme and same ideas. Great, great, and obviously, you know, you just essentially duplicated the process for those to become uh, New York Times bestsellers as well. Now, this is and this is this is a inter- this is a, a question everyone probably wants to hear and uh uh what does it take uh for someone to get on a list like the New York Times bestseller because a lot of people say it is game, it's rig, you know, people are paying to get on these lists. Perhaps you can perhaps you can you can kind of, you know, shed some light on that. Yeah, I mean, they are uh, there's companies like uh, Results Source and others that uh, essentially you pay them two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and they order copies of your book from independent uh, bookstores all around the country, and so it looks like your book is selling more than it actually is. It, it absolutely is rigged, a hundred percent. And that's just that's just you. That's just the author rigging the system. The New York Times itself is pretty bankrupt. Like. The the a best the name bestseller list is actually a lie because no bestseller list actually measures the best selling books. What they measure are the books that are selling in certain outlets that they track and they care about. Yeah. And so like uh, so the New York Times at any given I can't tell you every single week you can find you can go on BookScan, which is Nielsen's sort of data collection service that that tracks about 80% of books that are sold and you can look at the actual books that are selling and compare that to New York Times list not only will there be a bunch of books that are selling a lot of copies that are not anywhere on the list but the order of the books will be weird and altered and not be reflective of actual sales so the New York Times list is basically just what the New York Times wants to promote not what's actually selling yeah, yeah. Uh, in the in the public um, domain, you know, when someone hears that, oh, that person's a New York Times bestseller, you know, it it it, it still it still kind of gives off that credibility, that prestige. It makes kind of makes the author looks, I guess, much bigger than he is. Even though, as you stated, and you also stated in your in your HuffPost uh, articles, that you know the game is rigged. Anyone could buy their way onto the list. Start with a free audiobook. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, 
but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. I want you to talk about uh, perhaps the mentality on why someone would pay two- Status. Yes, status. the status. Thank you for correcting right. No, that's it. That's why. Because people, uh, it's why does anyone go after any ribbon or any trophy or anything like that? Because, look, this is one of those things that, that are like sort of like explaining to a fish that's swimming in water. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's sort of hard to see for people. Mm-hmm. Almost everything that people do is either about defining what tribe they're uh, a member of or defining their status within that tribe. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone wants to be in the best, coolest tribes, and everyone wants to have high status in those tribes. Mm-hmm. And uh, New York, uh, being a New York, being an author is seen as very high status, a, a very high status tribe. Mm-hmm. And then being a New York Times bestselling author is high status within that tribe. Mm-hmm. And so, anytime there's any measurement of anything, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the reward is worthwhile, people are going to try and game it, and yeah. they, they just game that system. And I mean, it's funny because like I benefit from that status, but I'll be the first one to tell you it's mostly bullshit. You know, <laughs> like it really it just is, man. Like yeah. the the way that they count that list is bull, and it shouldn't be a marker of status. But it's like one of those accepted lies that that people just say, oh well, yeah, well I know it's bull, but I still. I still care, or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because I think the reason why people still care because I mean, obviously, the majority of people do not know what we know. They do not do not know what you know, Max, about about uh, <laughs> the game system. So that's why people. I mean, that's why you know, you know, a lot of times people uh, they do it because they you know, know what? What's that, dude? I'm I'm gonna tell you. I don't necessarily think that's true. As much as you like, your assumption is that people are rational and that if they only knew the game was rigged, then they would stop caring. But the reality is most people, at least most people who are operating in that world, know the game is rigged. Right. And they still participate because yeah. that's, that's the way that, that people are. I'll give you a great example. Um, look at politics right now. Uh-huh. I, I mean, you have on one side, you have Orange Hitler. And on the other side, you have Grandma Nixon. You've got <laughs> literally two. I mean, seriously, we, we have two people who are both... 70 years old or older, uh-huh. who are b- both have long, extended, multi-decade track records of being terrible people who are <laughs> totally corrupt at all levels, uh, they're both just miserably awful, both of them. In, in the, um, but what happens is, look at, like, if you criticize Trump... Who, who likes Trump will say, well, well, Hillary's works, right? Mm-hmm. And if I were to criticize Hillary, uh, someone who likes Hillary would be like, well, Trump's Hitler, you know? And so it's like, I, I don't even disagree with either of those positions, but it, but people feel this deep-seated need to be part of a joint side. Uh-huh. Humans, uh, almost by definition, find it impossible to not pick a side. And so, like, the New York Times list is one of those things where it's like, well, if that's not measuring status, how are we going to measure status? So everyone plays the game, right. you know. Mm-hmm. But but if you talk to people individually and just rationally go through 
Clinton and Trump, whatever side they're on, they'll be like, yeah, this person, whatever, candidate X is terrible. Uh, they, they recognize that, but they can't, that's rational. Most people operate emotionally and instinctually, not rationally. The rational is just a facade on right. top of that. I love that analogy. And, you know, I'm very much uh, of the same mindset. I mean, I, I haven't voted in like years, so I don't. They're both corrupt. <laughs> yep. but, but yeah, uh, it's refreshing to hear uh, another person uh, kind of underline that. What do you think about uh, the Wall Street Journal and the U.S. Today bestseller list? Are they rigged too, or are they more honest? Uh, they are a little bit. Um, uh, uh, they are a little bit more honest, <laughs> just because the Wall Street Journal and the, uh, uh, is not like a intellectual status rag it's a business status rag so they don't care who who they, they care more about like fortune 500 like company rankings stock price they really care about books that's just kind of in there as a service and usa today is sort of the same way it's more of a publicity rag it's not really focused on books right. so those two lists usually take all of their cues from um from nielsen uh -huh. and they they use, they don't manipulate the list the same way that the New York Times does because the New York Times is speaking to a different audience. I see people who are intellectuals or pseudo intellectuals who want to signal that they're important and their ideas are important, so they only want to hear about and I say this in quotes important books. Right. Whereas that's just not as relevant to the Wall Street Journal or USA Today. On the full episode, you can get it among other benefits when you become our premium radio subscriber. Go to patreon.com forward slash Callen. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash K-A-L-L-E-N. When you go to patreon.com forward slash Callen, choose one of the premium subscription levels for it's just another tool to help you reach your finish line. Great, yeah, that's that's definitely uh, one of my um, uh, mission. Uh, one, one of my uh, goals is you know hopefully get on one of those. Well, I, I don't really care about the New York Times bestseller list. You know, I agree with you. It's rigged, and honestly, I, I don't I don't think it's a, I don't think it's worth the effort to to try to get on that list. But uh, it, I, I I do have the goal, and uh, hoping to get on either the Wall Street Journal bestseller list or. Uh, the U.S. T USA Today bestseller list. My first book, well, my, this is my only book right now, but it has sold well, but it didn't sell enough copies in a separate week to get on the list. So, right. um, so yeah, that's something. There's so many books like that, dude. James Altucher's book, Choose Yourself, mm -hmm. has sold 600,000 copies mm -hmm. and has never been on the New York Times bestseller list. I'll give you an even better example. Uh, Man's Search for Meaning, the book by Viktor Frankl, like one of the guys who survived the concentration camps, has oh, yeah. sold 10 million copies, and his book has never been on a bestseller list. Wow. That's nonsense. It's just nonsense. It is. You know, like, it, it's just proof that the lists are, and I'm sitting here as a beneficial, you know, someone who's benefited greatly from being on these lists, but they're just kind of bullshit, you know? Right. No, I, I'm with you, Tucker. So, what inspired you to create Book in a Box, uh, your own uh, your own uh, publishing company, in a sense that helps authors? Uh, what, is, what was the inspiration behind that? Basically, uh, I, it was. I, I mean, I wish I could tell you like I was some genius who figured this out, but I was basically <laughs> I was at, I was at an entrepreneur 
meeting, like a dinner, and this woman, this great entrepreneur, she told me she had an idea for a book for 10 years, and people have been asking her to write it for 10 years, and she didn't have the time to do it or the desire to learn how to write a book. And she's like, you know, how can I get this idea out of my head and into a book without having you know, to, to go through all that. And I made fun of her uh, for like thinking that there was a different way to write a book other than writing. And uh, she called me out. She's like, look, you shouldn't be at an entrepreneur dinner unless you're gonna help me solve my problem. Otherwise, you're just a fraud. And I was like, all right, well, let's, let's, uh, let's look at this. So um, I kind of went back to the drawing board and I realized that she was totally right. That some of the best books in history were not written down by the people whose ideas they were. For example, Socrates never wrote a word down. Jesus Christ never wrote a word down. Buddha never wrote a word down. Malcolm X never wrote anything down. Like all these people, um, their ideas were in books because scribes wrote their ideas and their word, their actual words down. And I was like, well, if Jesus can do it, why can't Melissa? And so I kind of constructed a process where I would interview her in a very structured way and then turn her ideas and her words and her voice into a book. So it wouldn't be ghostwriting, it would be her. And um, lo and behold, uh, it worked. And uh, I kind of talked about this on a podcast and it blew up and we ended up getting all these clients and then it just kind of became the company that, that we have now. So like, uh, you know, our, our process is, you know, not cheap. It costs $20,000 to get us to do it. But, um, uh, you can get the book for free. Like all you have to do, it's on Amazon. Mm -hmm. It's called the book in a box method. You can buy it for whatever it is, five bucks or two bucks, mm -hmm. or just go to bookinabox.com uh, slash book. And uh, uh, it'll take you to a landing page where you can download a PDF of the book for free. Mm -hmm. If you want to write a book, you can absolutely do it um, by yourself, just follow the method step by step. It absolutely works. We've done it with 300 books so far. Great. And if people want to contact you directly about you know something else, I guess they could contact TuckerMax.me. Uh, no, go to just Tucker Tucker at BookinABox.com is my email. Okay, very good. Hey Tucker, thank you for being our guest. Of course, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist has seen at Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.